based time online is looking at houses I have no intention of buying, in areas I've no intention of living, of costs I could never afford, but I do it because I'm nosy. Anyone else do that? Oh, yeah, loads, yes, yeah. And I enjoy looking at what's on offer for what price and whether I think the house is worth buying or not. Even if I can't afford it, in most cases, I can't. And especially what then I would do and how much it would cost to make it the way I'd like. And on property shows, everyone seems to have a list of must-haves that they would have for their, their pro property search. And for some people, it's very long. Firstly, escape to the country. None of those people actually have any intention of buying the house, have they? It's like they live in a three-bedroomed house that's like tiny and then uh, that's uh, probably worth about 180,000. And then what's your budget for your move to the country? 790,000. And you're like, yeah, right. You just want to be on the telly. But anyway, rant over. That's nothing to do with a sermon. However, they've got this list. And these are non-negotiables. And especially when they get Phil and Kirsty, Kirsty gets more and more angry, doesn't she, about the list. And probably by property two, she needs to have a sit down with them, tell them that list is unrealistic. Sometimes they take her advice, sometimes they don't. But often they will do things like go, no, this massive garden just isn't big enough for us or this house has six bedrooms but we were hoping for more just in case our family from Australia come and visit and again I think sometimes it's just they don't really want to buy a house and they don't want to be stuck in it. I have two non-negotiables, two and sorry if you have them in your house, I'm not having to go at your house, I'm just not going to buy it. The first is a bathroom or a toilet straight off the kitchen with only one door. So you open the door from the kitchen straight into the bathroom and toilet. If I see that on a, a property thing, oh no, that's just my, my thing. So sorry if you've got that. The second is, oh, people are looking at each other going, oh, we need to add a door. Oh, Phil's not going to buy our house. Or oh, oh. somebody's going, no, I have two doors. Don't worry, we have two doors there. The second is a bathroom with no bath. Now, I know you might have, a, some of you have got a few bathrooms. One that doesn't have a bath, but the other does have a bath. That would be okay for me. However, a house that doesn't have a bath I couldn't really cope with because I like the option of having a bath. However, many people are actually are now removing baths from their bathroom to have a much bigger, a much more luxurious shower cubicle. And I also understand that for space and cost, a lot of homes aren't able to fit a bath in. However, most houses have a room dedicated to washing yourself. Don't they? Yeah. So when we're talking about bathroom today, that's wet room, shower room, bathroom, wherever people would, uh, would wash themselves. And often, it's also true in that room, we may also relieve ourselves. <laughs> I'm subtle. <laughs> now, earlier, Kev said, for those who are on time, well done, Kev said, 
Oh, Phil's talking about the bathroom, so there'll be a lot of toilet humour. I'm sorry if that's what you come to church for, Kev. You need to sort yourself out, because that's not what is in my pure and holy sermon. However, I don't know if you realised that you can't tell, it's a scientific fact, you can't tell whether psychiatrists or psychologists are on the toilet. Because both of them have a silent P. Is that all right, Kev? I'll work that one out of the back for you. Is that okay? That's all you're going to get. Oh, there we go. Spontaneous round of applause for filth. But we're relieving ourselves. It's one of the most unpleasant things to do. And in the bathroom, we see that juxtaposition, two different opposing thoughts next to each other. Dirtiness and cleanliness. Dirtiness being dealt with by purity, by usually the purity of water. So how does this affect our lives? And actually around the world, some folks don't actually have a bathroom. Some of the places where I've worked and uh, we built houses, the kitchen doubles up if they can have a tap there. That's where they will wash themselves. But for many, it's just the nearest water source or being able to collect the nearest water source. The Bible talks a lot about washing. And often people have struggled reading some books of the Old Testament and hearing a lot of rules and rituals regarding cleanliness of the body and wonder how it applies to them today. Some of those rituals were very specific to travelling in the wilderness and in order to make sure that people were clean and healthy there. However, some were ones that were carried on and were meant to carry on throughout the Old Testament. And some carry on further. Because remember, Jesus came to fulfil the law, but also for some of the law that Jesus said, well, I now, what I have done, means you don't need to do those things. And we're going to look at that a little later, about what Jesus' death does when it comes to washing. But in fact, some traditions of Christianity still place a lot of importance on ritual washing in parts of regular service and special events and festivals. The mikveh in the Bible is a bath and it's used for the purpose of ritual immersion. The word is used in broader sense and generally means a collection of water, but also meant the actual construction that was done. And several biblical regulations specify that full immersion in water, and this Old Testament here, is required to regain ritual purity after impure incidents have occurred. And a person was required to be ritually pure to enter the temple. And there's actually a lathering station as well outside where priests would uh, make sure they were pure. And in this context, purity and impurity, a sort of imperfect translation of the Hebrew, tahara and tumar, respectively. And it's sort of, the idea is impure, because sometimes we use it as very much, that's bad, that's impure. And it's being in a state where certain things aren't allowed until one has come pure again. So it's almost getting that idea that if you're impure, you're going to be pure at some point. You're going to be able to make yourself pure. And in the Old Testament, that was immersion in a mikvah. And after the temple was destroyed, 
hundreds of years before Jesus came. The mikvah's main uses were for women to achieve ritual purity after menstruation or childbirth and before she and her husband may resume marital relations. Men to achieve ritual purity and also to immerse newly acquired utensils used in serving and eating food. And just for reference, that all happened in the same uh, same mikvah there. So uh, lots of different things going, and you're thinking, yeah, a few people are going, hmm, couldn't they have had different ones for different things? Now, when I went to Mexico, and I've been four, four times now, one of the ways that we wash is a thing called a solar shower. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, I call it... Well, I won't, no, I won't, because that would be what Kev says. Um, so it's this big old sort of, well, not old, but you buy it, a big old plastic thing, looks a bit like a solid bin bag. And what you do is fill it with water, put it out in the sun all day, and it warms up. And then you need some hook or something to have it on. And then you open the tap, some of them have a little hose. And then it is like an old man weeing, it's very, very slow. But you're able to sort of just about cleanse yourself using that there. And the solar shower is how we do that there. And that isn't really a cultural thing. It's just what people do there. Um, The people visiting there because it's easy to do in the facilities that we've got. However, in the Bible, there's lots of instances where bathing was happening in different ways, or water was happening, and it was to do a purpose more than just cleansing the person from a bit of dirt, or the, as in Mexico when we're building houses, all the concrete and the dust. We have Naaman, who was a very important official in another government, and he was asked to bathe seven times in order to get rid of leprosy. And he wanted to do it his way, do it in his own riverboats, told, no, you have to do it in this way seven times. And by following the instructions of the prophet, he was able to become pure. And many people show that's how, by following what God wants rather than what we want, we can be pure. We have the washing of the disciples' feet, one of the most famous stories about washing. And we know that wasn't just for a spiritual reason, it was a very practical reason. Because in those days, you were most likely to be walking around the streets that were very dusty. There was also, you know, nowadays, and again, Kev will like it because it's a bit... But nowadays, you don't see much doggy do on the streets, do you? Because in about the late 80s, early 90s, We discovered those plastic bags, didn't we? The poop bags. Before that, it was everywhere. It turned white. It was always like someone would go into school and be like, oh, who's that? And then you'd have like the the shoe off of shame. But nowadays, you don't really have that. And you go, going, why is he talking about that? Well, in Old Testament times, you're walking around in your sandals or barefoot, and it's more likely or not that you were going to tread in some effluence on the street whether it was or whatever, because it's all about. It wasn't and like you were able to strategically avoid it. So actually, their feet would be caked in things. So Jesus was first doing a very practical thing, but also showing through that practical thing 
the idea of how we should serve others and how we should be an example. So we have the washing about obedience. We have the washing of servanthood. And then we have many stories, such as the prodigal son, where you say, well, hang on a minute. There isn't really washing involved in that. It wasn't like when he came, the prodigal son who'd gone and done his own thing and then came back and the first thing that happened, the father chucked a bucket of water over him to make him clean. That didn't happen. However, for a Jew listening to that story, it is all about impurity and then being made pure. Because if you think that what happened in it was that the uh, prodigal son went and did their own thing, but then what job did the prodigal son have to get? Yet feeding the pigs, the absolute sort of symbol of impurity for a Jew. So actually the fact that he is welcomed back by his father shows that somebody who is made incredibly impure was made pure and welcomed back. So here we see lots of different examples of what, and there are loads throughout the Bible, of this idea of the impure becoming pure. In Luke 11, a Pharisee known, and remember Pharisees loved washing. They loved it because they could show everyone how amazing they were. And they loved following real behavioural expectations of putting on other people. And this Pharisee in Luke 11 was astonished when Jesus did not follow the customary practice of washing himself before their meal. But Jesus responded with his own words. Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outsides of the cup and of the dish. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now sometimes, we've all done it, haven't we, where it's like, we're making someone a cup of coffee and you look at the bottom and think, oh, only coffee's going, oh, is it just me? Yeah, just me, is it? So the moral is, I'll never do the coffee rotor, I won't be good at that. But often there's the idea, isn't it, that we make ourselves look amazing on the outside, which the Pharisees were brilliant at, but actually the inside wasn't great. And how crazy would it be to take a really manky, dingy cup and wash only, only the outside, then drink from a really horrible and disgusting inside? But that's often how people were. People, and we still have that today, want to look brilliant to everyone else, but inside, the impurity remains. 1 John 1.5 says this, Here is the message we have heard from Christ. And now announce to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with God, but we continue living in darkness, we are liars and do not follow the truth. But if we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, I love watching those adverts on telly with, uh, you know, like Ariel and Daz, where they show, here's what it's like beforehand, and here's like it's now, now you use Daz. What's interesting is, 20 years ago, Daz was very white, wasn't it? 
Now their new improved formula is even whiter than it ever was. So I don't know how bad the one 20 years ago, whether there was a trick of the camera or anything there. Maybe I'm being cynical. But however, when we are trying to wash things, one of the worst stains to get out is blood, isn't it? It isn't a good stain to get out of. And so tricky. However, here we again have that juxtaposition I said about earlier of the bathroom, of the, the foul opposed to the clean, where actually the real thing that's difficult to get out stain, blood, is actually washing us clean. We celebrated communion together, didn't we? And that is about Jesus dying on the cross. The blood shed making us clean. All the things we do think and say that hurt God and hurt other people, washed away by his blood. And actually, that's a really hard thing sometimes to think about, is how does blood make us clean? Well, actually, as well as those rituals of so much washing in the Old Testament, there's also rituals of sacrifice. And Jesus' blood means we no need, don't need to do those sacrifices of animals. And actually, we believe as our church that a lot of those ritual cleaning, those washing, the mitzvah that happen, we don't need to do those now in the same way because of Jesus' blood washing us of our sin. And it goes on in 1 John 1 saying, If we say we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrong things we have done. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and we do not accept God's teaching. And you may have only heard that for the first time today, that you've done things wrong. You might like, well, have I really? Well, yeah, the Bible says all of us have done things that are wrong. And that has created separation between us and other people and us and God. But what Jesus did on the cross can get rid of that separation, can wash us clean, make us spiritually holy, and mean we're acceptable for God, towards God. And one of the many benefits of water is its cleansing ability, not only on our bodies, but in them as well. And we read of this in Paul's first century letter to the Ephesians. He says of how deeply Christ is committed to the church, the body of believers, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And just as clear, fresh water cleanses our bodies, God's written word washes us clean deep down in our souls. It purifies our thoughts, scrubs our motives and cleanses our conscience as we absorb it and obey its truth. And because I'm very good at visual aids, because visual aids, things we can see that help us remember. Today I've put on a lot of snow for you outside. Yeah? I've made it. So if you were slipping around today or struggling to engage it, it's all because of the visual aid I needed to show you. Okay? So Psalm 57 says about how God cleanses us with hyssop and washes us whiter than... And that's not like snow when it gets a bit gritty. It's like the snow that we saw on the, um, on the screen that had the mountains and clear and pure. Another example of purity. 
And we saw before Jesus baptism, and there's an example of sort of more modern baptism on the screen there, being used by people such as John the Baptist as a sign of turning their own from their old ways. A bit of a, a sort of a play, not a play, but an adaption of the Jewish washing that we saw earlier in the mitzvahs. And those don't need a ceremonial bath. And it's, it's all about an outward sign of showing a declaration of turning from your own ways, almost burying down under the water the things, the sins that we've done, and then coming out clean again. And it's, we see it as a sign of declaring on the outside what Jesus has done to us on the inside. And there are people here who are probably like, well, I'm a Christian, but I've never done that. And if it's something that you would like to uh, know more about or maybe be involved in, please see uh, Rachel or Vicky or Kev or Joe or one of the team at the end. And they'd be more, more than happy to chat to you afterwards and talk to you about that. And again, it's, the Bible says, believe and be baptised. It's a way of showing through water sort of declaring here's what I believe and what I'm now going to live for turning back on my old way and the old old stuff that sort of made us unclean but there's another washing in the bible that I'm going to just say before finishing it's in Matthew 27 21 to 26 and it's when Jesus is arrested and he's going to be um he's before Pilate and Pilate didn't really want to make the political step of killing Jesus. He's sort of warned by his wife in a dream. There's all stuff going on. And he says this, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who's called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So straight away we saw, see the pure Jesus taking the blame for all the impurity and sin. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Many people's response to the gospel is similar to Pilate's. They say, this has nothing to do with me. I'm innocent. Maybe they don't see the need for being made clean or they don't believe in God and God's power to make them right. And that's our sort of thing. Well, as Christians, what do we do about that? Well, we've had three R's that we've been looking at through our home series. The first one, relationships. How do you show in your relationships the difference that God has made to you? How do you help people who are going, oh, it's nothing to do with me, I wash my hands of this. How do you show the difference God has made in your life? How filthy your life was and how clean it is now. And even the fact that you might say, well, I do loads wrong still, but God is constantly doing a work in me working on making me holy then that's our responsibility how do we keep ourselves clean and help others be pure and finally revelation how are we allowing God to keep us holy 
and work within us. This Tuesday, I had the MOT on my car, and I sort of the sort of person who is very, gets the MOT and then thinks that'll last them the whole year, and then you suddenly like it grinds to a halt, and you realise you haven't put the water in, you haven't put the coolant in, you haven't done all the things you meant to do. It's just like, well, the MOT in the service that'll sort me out. And sometimes that, as we are like that with Christians, we think just a dose of festivals, a dose of church every now and again, a dose of reading the Bible once in a while, that'll keep us going. But that revelation, that constant allowing Jesus to work in our lives, to work keeping us holy and saying, Lord, wash me whiter than snow, that revelation is vital to us and vital to our lives. And as we come to our Christmas season, and especially our Christmas market is two weeks away, it's easy to see the dirt in people's lives and know that we have the truth. But remember, we're talking about how we respond to people coming in. It isn't like, oh, they're coming in the first time ever. I'm going to preach at them for two hours and then that's me done. Jesus' approach varied depending on the circumstances and on people's heart but usually attended to people's needs first. And remember, we want to share the love of Jesus with people this Christmas, not deliver a 10-point sermon or make people go away feeling worse about themselves. But part of that is that revelation. Pray that God will speak to people through what we do and that he will challenge folk in the most amazing ways. Together, we're just going to read 10 verses of Psalm 51. If the band can come back up, please. Because we're going to sing a song of response. But before we do that, this is David's prayer of forgiveness. And notice how many times, this is where he'd uh, done adultery. He'd also sent a man off to be killed so he could uh, then take his wife. And when convicted of the wrong he'd done, look how many times David asked the Lord to cleanse him from within. So we're going to read this together. We're going to stand. I'm going to read it. But just close your eyes and let the words really wash over you. And actually, I encourage you to use Psalm 51 this week as a prayer, a prayer of just asking Jesus to wash and cleanse and continue that work in you. So let's stand. Psalm 51. God, be merciful to me. Because you are loving. Because you're ready to be merciful. Wipe out all my wrongs. Wash away my guilt. And make me clean again. I know about my wrongs. And I can't forget my sin. You're the only one I've sinned against. I've done what you said is wrong. You're right when you speak. And fair when you judge. I was brought into this world in sin. In sin, my mother gave birth to me. You want me to be completely truthful, so teach me wisdom. Take away my sin, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear sounds of joy and gladness. Let the bones you crush be happy again. Turn your face from my sins, and wipe out all my guilt. Create in me a pure heart, God. And make my spirit right again. Let's praise together and thank God for the amazing gospel and what he's done for us. Thank you team.